0: to talk about the faithfulness of our our God as a a shepherd who continually guides and loves uh, his sheep. And so I look forward to uh, sharing God's Word with you uh, this morning. If you are a guest with us, just want to point out the colored insert in your service folder. This would be a good time to take that out and uh, write on it or just allow it to be a guide for you, whatever you would choose. And uh, again, we are in the, the fourth week of this series where we're taking a look at how faithful God is while at the same time his people, back then and still today, continually and on a daily basis are unfaithful. That is, we don't follow God perfectly like we should. And so the faithfulness of God is the, the main theme and idea behind our time together in the, in the book of Judges. Um, some of you might uh, know that uh, the Golden State Warriors won the uh, NBA championship this uh, past week. Uh, some of you have no clue and don't care. But in case you uh, didn't know that, uh, that's, that's what happened. And uh, their coach uh, happens to be a first-year head coach named uh, Steve Kerr. I think I have a picture of him here on the, the screen holding the championship trophy. And one of the things that I've heard, because I don't know Steve Kerr, I have met Newt Gingrich and Steve Largent, like I said before, name dropping, but I don't know Steve Kerr, Um, but one of the things that I've heard about him is that he's a good coach in part because he's just a really good guy. That he knows his X's and O's, but that the, the players relate to him, they listen to him, they respect him because he respects them. He treats everyone the same, from the best player on the team to, to the worst, and they, they just enjoy playing for him. And after the series was over, he was asked in an interview, um, you know, who had the biggest influence on his life in the sense of the person that he is today And uh, you might be able to guess it on Father's Day, Um, he said, his dad, his dad Malcolm. Now if you know anything about Steve Kerr's past, um, it will be, I would guess, somewhat surprising that he actually is so grounded. Um, This is something I didn't know until about a week ago. So um, his dad, Malcolm, uh, was a guy who gave a lot with his life. I don't know if he was a Christian or not, but he just wanted to give back to society. And one of the things that he, he was passionate about is trying to get uh, the Western world and the Middle East to get along better. And in fact, that desire led him to, in the early 80s, so this was back when relations were even better than they are today, um, led him to become the, the president of the American University in Beirut, Lebanon, okay? And so he did some great work there. Again, you can kind of see in that job choice why and how uh, Steve Kerr looked up to him so much in, in giving of himself, even in a, a difficult area of the world. Well, when Steve was a freshman in college he, uh, at uni- University of Arizona, he got a, uh, a phone call about 3 a.m. in the morning. And it's never good to get a call at 3 a.m., right? And this one was not a good call. The uh, call was to let him know that his dad that day was walking out of an elevator in the university and was killed by two Iranian terrorists. Back in 1984, long time ago, terrorism was still or was even then prevalent and around and Steve Kerr's dad was one of the guys who uh, succumbed to some terrorists. And uh, um, last, never again would Steve be able to talk to his dad. When you, when you hear about a story like that, I just, this is why I bring it up, because when I heard that, I had no idea about his dad. When I heard it, it's like, wow. <laughs> that just, to put it bluntly, stinks. <laughs> and it makes you ask questions. What's going on in this world? Why such a good guy? Why would he be killed? Events that seem so senseless or unexplainable. I was talking to the Leans just before the service about one that happened this past week, right? Um, Charleston, South Carolina. In a church, right? group of Christians invite some stranger who was visiting to come and, and, and have Bible class with them and even pray with them. For over an hour, he sat this this. Guy next to the pastor in Bible study, and then he gets up and kills nine of them. And it just makes you wonder, you know, and feel like things are out of control. <laughs> What's going on in this world? Is there anyone in control? And, and it's events like this that leave us asking a question, the question why. Why? Um. If you are a Christian or someone who believes in God like I do, there's a second part to that question. It's not just why, but it's like, why God, right? Why God have you allowed these things to happen? Why God or what God are you up to? Now, just so that we can have a point of reference here this morning, it's a little bit of class participation. I want you to raise your hand If you've ever, at any point in your life, because of life circumstances, asked the question, why? All right, look around. (laughs) Like, the only people not holding up their hands are ones that don't believe in raising hands in church, okay? (laughs) Because everyone has asked that question. I just want you to know at the start of this message that asking the question, why, does not put you out of faith. Sometimes there can be weakness of faith in the question why or a blaming towards God, but it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. In fact, this is our our first fill-in. It's normal as a sinful human being, it's normal to ask the question why. There are just things in life that don't seem to make sense. And and so here's what I want to do today through the book of Judges, chapter 6, is I want us to wrestle with the question why and hopefully come to some conclusions that will help us maybe not have the answer to our whys, but at least better understand what God could be up to because you've had your own whys in life. You've had the, the why that health diagnosis or why did my loved one get taken home to heaven so soon or die so soon? Why uh, am I having a hard time finding a job? Why was my job taken away? Um, why do every, does everyone else seem to have so much and, and I seem to, to struggle in life? Why, why? We've all had them. We all should have had our hands raised. We've all been there. And, and so I'm not going to be able today... to to give you the specific answer to your specific why. Because to do that, I would need to know the mind of God. But here's what we can do. We can better understand God's mind, God's priorities, and what God is up to in general that in turn will help us better understand his love even in the midst of difficult circumstances. So... Last week, we learned about Deborah and Barak, not to be confused with Barak, right, Matt, right? Um, Once again, the uh, uh, Israelites' community fell into um, that familiar cycle that we've uh, been looking at. It's up here on the screen. So after Deborah and Barak delivered them with, obviously, God's guidance, um, once again, the people became complacent in their faith. I mean, you... You really need to guard your heart the most when things are good. I'm just telling you. Those are the times when you get the most complacent and the most self-assured and self-confident, and that is what the devil likes. that is when we tend to be most susceptible, is when things are going the best. And that same thing would happen with the Israelites over and over again, and they would continue to fall into idol worship. And, and you know, as I read through chapter 6 this week, I'm like, why always Baal and Asherah? I mean, what is going on here? <laughs> How dumb, you know, could these people be? And, you know, part of it was that it was just, I guess, a little more fun following Baal and Asherah. It was like a party, In order to worship Baal and Asherah, it was like you could just give in to all your sinful desires and temptations. And so it was, in the short term, a lot more fun. And so it was tempting for the Israelites. Well, they once again fell into that cycle. And this time, the Lord allowed the Midianites to oppress and overtake them. Another subculture near where Israel was. And this particular oppression Uh, at least to this point in Judges, was the worst. So here's what would happen. So the Israelites would do their their farming uh, every season or every year. And during harvest time, the Midianites would come and basically drive the Israelites out, eat all their food, ravage in the sense of eating it all, the land, eat all the animals. And then the Israelites would have to flee to the mountains and live in the caves for a few months and then the Midianites would leave. And then the Israelites would come back to the plain where they lived, to their homes that were at that point probably uh, ransacked and overrun, and, and, uh, and they would build things back up. And they had an idea. The Midianites might do this again, but um, if we don't plant, we're assured to have no food. If we do plant, well, maybe the Midianites won't come. So they'd plant again. And then the next year at harvest time, the Midianites, sure enough, would come again drive them out, take all their food, kill their animals. <coughs> Israelites would have to flee to the mountains. And, and this happened seven years in a row. And you can imagine how hungry the Israelites uh, probably were as uh, they tried to survive in the mountains. And at this point, uh, this is the disaster point. <laughs> and they, what did they do? Pretty familiar words here. Judges 6, verse 6. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now we've been in Judges now four weeks, and you might begin to catch on to a little bit of what they're they're crying out for. And even if this is your first week, you could probably catch it. They're crying out for help in driving out the Midianites. They're calling for help. They're calling for help for a military leader, for a judge. They're calling out for someone to help them drive out their enemy. We're starving. We're living in the mountains. We need a judge. So, what does God do? Verse 7. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. Now, I want to just stop here for a second. So in the midst of this great oppression, where we're going to see in a moment that the people are asking, why God? Why are you letting this happen? Why are my, my fields ransacked and overturned? Why are we living in the mountains? We need help. God did not send them a deliverer at first. He sent them a pastor. God didn't send them deliverance. You know what he gave them? A sermon. (laughs) And sermons are good, right? Especially ones Matt preaches, you know? (laughs) Sermons are good, but when you're in the midst of your lowest low, when you're being driven out of Israel and into the mountains, Lord, you know, when I asked for help, I wasn't asking for you to preach to me. I was asking for help. I was trying to think about what sort of comparison this might be, and this is kind of the best that I could come up with, but it it would be as if you're standing outside of your home, and your house is on fire, and instead of the fire department coming, an interior decorator comes (laughs) and asks about remodeling the kitchen. And, And you know, home improvements are great, but my house is on fire, okay? It's not what I need right now. And if we fast forward just a little bit to verse 13, we see some, uh, some questions uh, <laughs> that Israel was is asking. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Why are we hungry? Why are we living in the mountains? Where are all his wonders that our Father told us about? When they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? I I mean, God is supposed to be so powerful. and He's just letting us, you know, continually be overrun seven years in a row by the Midianites. But, But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. Does that sound familiar at all? You all raised your hand. Why? Lord, you're so powerful. You... Resurrect people from the dead. (laughs) Change water into wine. You can move mountains. Why are you not moving my mountain? You're the God of all power. (laughs) Lord, why? Remember, the pastor had a sermon to preach. Let's back up to verse 8. Here's the sermon. So God sent them the prophet, the pastor, Here's what the pastor said. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. Here's all the things I've done for you. Verse 10. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Don't worship the gods of the Amorites, Baal, and Asherah, in whose land you live. But, but you haven't listened to me. You haven't listened to me. So let's get specific to the Israelites, because this may not apply to your situation, but I want us to first just talk about the Israelites. So here's the situation for Israel disaster would come, and the Israelites would feel bad and they'd cry out to the Lord. And I don't know about every single time they felt bad, but for sure we know about this time, because God sent them a prophet instead of the deliverer. This time for sure, what they felt bad about, what they felt sad about, was not that they were worshiping Baal and Asherah. What they were sad about was that they were hungry. What they were sad about was that They were living in caves. Not that they had rejected God. They were all about the circumstances that they were in. You know what they didn't feel bad about was their sin. You know what God wanted? He wanted them to feel bad about their sin. He cared more about their relationship with him, God, than with the fact that they had nice homes or had a lot to eat. Why? Well, about 1,300 years after this uh, count, um, there's a pastor named Paul. Many of you uh, have heard of Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. And, and he wrote about two different types of feeling bad. Two different types of sorrow. Listen to these words from 2 Corinthians. Paul writes, uh, Godly sorrow, that is sorrow that God approves of, brings repentance repentance that leads to salvation and it leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Well, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that, that godly sorrow is better than worldly sorrow and here's what godly sorrow is. It's sorrow that looks at myself and says, you know what, um, I'm a sinner. I need to repent. It looks at myself and says, you know what, things aren't going well. I'm a screw-up, I'm a sinner, and I need help. I need God. And you can see, when you have that type of sorrow, it leads you to the exact source of strength and forgiveness that you need. That's what God wanted for Israel. On the other hand, worldly sorrow brings death. You know what worldly sorrow is? It's complaining because, woe is me, my life is not great. It's a type of complaining that tends to also blame. Blame others for my situation. Blame others for the things I'm going through. And, and for a Christ follower, oftentimes it, it, is, it is blame to God that he has given us a lemon in life. That our lives are lemons. That they're not what we signed up for. And it points the finger at God instead of looking at ourselves, And as Israel is in their situation, God looks at them and he, and he says, um, you don't need a deliverer right now. What you need is repentance. What you need is a prophet. What you need is a, a sermon. Now, I want to be really clear then about the application for this. Um, the application for this is not that the reason that you're going through your struggle right now or the hardship that you might be facing now or in the future is because you have failed to repent. (laughs) It could be the reason. It might be, but it is not always that reason. Instead, here is the main point that I want all of you to recognize and, and to understand today as we look at what God did with the Israelites, with Midian. That when God acts in our lives, he doesn't always act in a way that makes us the happiest in the moment or the most successful or happy in this life. But instead, God is always concerned, just like he was with Israel, about the big picture. His goal is not that you are always comfortable during your earthly life. See, for for Israel, um, they had strayed, and and so they needed to repent. For us, um, maybe what God is doing in our hardship is he's leading us to trust more. Maybe he's trying to get us to refocus on what is most important, and that not being this earth, this life, our successes, our stuff. There's a lot of things he might be doing I don't know the mind of God in your situation, but here's what I do know about the mind of God. He doesn't care as much about this life as he cares about eternity. It's our our next fill in. God cares more about your eternal destination than your earthly happiness. See, so often we ask the question why, because we can't understand. How God could love us and also allow us to endure what's going on. And so often, then, is this true for you? Your satisfaction level with God fluctuates according to how well your earthly life is going. So uh, the bills are getting paid, the job's stable, the marriage is thriving, the cars are running, my health is good. Yay, God, you are good and loving and kind, and you answer my prayers. Yay, God. <laughs> But when life hits a speed bump and good health disappears or the job's taken away or the marriage hits a rough spot or for seven years the Midianites come down and take your food away, we ask the question, why God? And what did I say before? It's normal to ask the question. But when we ask it sometimes, we are thinking, There's no good reason for what I'm going through right now. Either God doesn't love me, or he doesn't know what he's doing. Either he doesn't love me, or he doesn't know what he's doing. Here's the truth. God loves you, and he knows what he's doing. It's just that God sees, as this says, the bigger picture. We've talked about this before. But I think it, we just always need this sort of uh, reality check. How long's your life here on Earth? The Bible says eighty years if you have the strength. None of my grandparents, except the one who's alive right now, have lived to eighty. Um, Fifty years, seventy years, eighty years, ninety. How long is eternity? Um, Billions and billions and billions and billions and billions and billions and billions. And when you get to another billion, add another billion and then some more billions behind that. And if you were God, what would you be more concerned with? The people who you love, their 80 years, if you have the strength, or the rest of eternity? If you could choose... And you could tell God, I either want you to bless me now or bless me for eternity. And by the way, He does both. But give me all I want now or give me all I want for eternity and all you want to give me for eternity. Which would you choose? Yeah, that's what God chose. He works in view of your eternal destination, not your earthly happiness. And when it comes to the difficulties that happen in life, I want you to know that you get this big picture thinking if you're a parent. Because your job, especially when the kids are young, is to see the big picture because your kids can't. I mean, they think there's more ice cream, I'll just eat it. Five bowls later, right? There's more donuts on the table, I'll just eat them. I've got an iPod in my hand, and it still has some time in the battery. We'll just sit here for two hours. It is the job of a parent to say, no, you won't. But mom, you're so mean. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I'm supposed to be. Because I was called to see the bigger picture, and your picture, your view is limited. That fifth bowl of ice cream is no good for you. As my mom said, you're going to turn into a zombie if you watch that boob tube any longer. (laughs) The TV. The bigger picture that your child isn't mature enough to see or understand is the one that you've been tasked to see. If you're not quite convinced yet about the awesomeness of God's grace, even in the midst of hard times, I want you to know something. God sent a prophet to preach a sermon. And the verse, right after the sermon was spoken, before Israel had a time to get their act together, you know what God sent? A judge. A deliverer. Help. Look at verse 11. Is that where we're at? Are we stuck? Judges 6 verse 11 says this. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah. That's uh, before she lived in Chicago and had the studio. Um, the oak belonged to Joash the Abizurite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press, which was basically a hole. Do you, do you know where you should thresh wheat? Not in a hole. Because wind, I know nothing about farming, but I read about this. Wind is supposed to take the chaff away. In a hole, everything just sort of stays there. And so Gideon is so afraid of the Midianites, he's threshing the wheat in a wine press in a hole, and the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. <laughs> I'm in a hole afraid of the Midianites, and God calls him a mighty warrior and calls him to be the next judge. We go to verse 14. The Lord turned to Gideon after he sort of said, I'm not your guy. I'm not the guy for the job. He said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand because I am the one sending you. I'm the one sending you. Israel did not have time to get their act together. All together. God willing, they began their turning of repentance. I'm sure they did. But they weren't perfected masterpieces before God would send them help. Gideon was a weak fraidy cat. We're going to look a little bit more at him over the next two weeks. From the smallest clan in all of Judah and Israel. And God chose him. Because who was behind it? The Lord's strength, the Lord's power, and more than anything, God's grace and God's love. You might be in a hardship. If you're not right now, you will be. God does not wait for you to be perfect before he begins to work on you or help you. There's this uh, verse from that same Paul that I love. Um, It's from Romans 5. It says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. (laughs) I, I love, this is one of my favorite verses. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for Ben to get his act together before he showed grace. If he waited for you to get your act together, all together, Christ still would not have come, and he won't ever come. But in his grace, he doesn't ignore our sin, our waywardness. He asks for repentance, a, a life that is continually turning to him, but at the same time, he loves and forgives us in spite of our sin. You know those times where are complaining, Why, God? That's the God you have. A God of love and grace bigger than any type of love I could show. Even while we were still sinners, God sent his son, Jesus, to be our Savior. And so, number three, God shows love even in the midst of our waywardness. To bring this all together, I wanted to think of an illustration that actually, I think a long time ago, I used in a children's message once. But I really feel like it might be something that you can take away, will remember, and will help you remember the point of what to think about when you're going through that hardship that asks, makes you ask the question, why? So for this, I need a volunteer. And uh, Ethan, you want to be my volunteer this morning? You don't have to do anything real. Or, or do you want to be my volunteer? Ethan, all right, you're, you're designate great father, designate your son to, <laughs> <laughs> Ethan, come on, you're not going to have to do anything bad. The only thing that might happen is uh, um, people might laugh in a second, but, but not at you, just with you. Okay, all right, <laughs> I'm not making it any better. All right, so if you could stand there. Um, so I'm just going to throw this beanbag to you and try to catch it. All right, good. Can you, I'll try my, throw it back. All right, good. All right, how was that? Pretty easy? Pretty easy. All right. So this is where, you know, things get interesting. So I have some special glasses here <laughs> that have tape all around them except a little part right in the middle there. Okay. And could, would you be willing to slip those on? If you don't want to, you can designate your dad. <laughs> oh, you don't mind. Okay. All right. So and just... Could you just look out here? You're a fine-looking young man. All right. Good. Now... I want to play catch again, all right, and likely you won't catch it, okay, just to give you the heads up, all right, and I'm going to even make it a little bit harder, all right, here we go, see, <laughs> see, and the good, good thing is, uh, thank you, give him a round of applause, thank you, Ethan, the good thing is you didn't catch it because that would have screwed up my illustration, okay, <laughs> oh, thank you for doing that. Um so here's here's the point that I I hope helps you just remember the point of the day. That when it comes to life, we think that we see everything. But and and all the the factors that go into certain things and we think we know it all, but the truth is is that our vision are like these glasses. That we only see a very little bit, and when our view is obstructed, when we don't see the big picture, things aren't going to always make sense. But God's this is our view. God's view is this: He sees it all. He understands how this event will affect you, how this event will affect others. He understands, um, you know, what you need—not for this life, but for eternity. God's view is so much bigger, so much fuller than ours. And so you're not going to go home today knowing exactly why, the exact reason that you're going through whatever hardship or will go through whatever hardship you're going through. But here's what you can do. You can go home and know that I am going through this hardship and it's not because God doesn't love me or know what he's doing. I want you to trust that he sees what you can't. He sees the bigger picture and he cares more about your eternity than about your happiness today. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you um, for this account uh, and and to be able to see your mind and heart through the book of Judges that we can apply your plan to us 3,300 years later. Dear Lord, I ask you to give us the strength to get through whatever hardships we are enduring now or will in the future. Give us confidence of knowing that you both are in control and love us. Dear Lord, today we also thank you for the gift of fathers. As we think about your uh, perfect work as our heavenly father, we as dads realize that, that we are not like you, perfect. But we, we thank you for the strength that you give us. We ask you for your forgiveness when we uh, uh, mess up that leadership, but also with your strength, we ask you to continue to guide us to be a godly leader in our homes. We thank you for our dads. Um, It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time, we uh, will continue with uh, our offering as we have a chance to uh, give.